A 90s country icon joins us on this edition of the Music Universe podcast. Oh my goodness, buddy. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, at least the weather's getting nice. How about that? Well, for you, <laughs> it's uh, it's been raining, and uh, our next guest couldn't believe that it was actually raining in Bakersfield. Yes. Yes, because he loves Bakersfield. The Buck Owens Palace is important to John Barry, 90s country icon, very well known for his love songs. I and mean, Yeah, you've got your love amazes me. Um, so many, you know, Kiss Me in the Car, Standing on the Edge of Goodbye, just so many great songs with that iconic voice. And I, I was super pleased we got to chat with him. And we chatted with him for a good 30 minutes. Yeah, he was stellar. Uh, I really loved what he had to say about the importance of love songs to country music. And, you know, well, we'll talk about this after, but there's a very special story about Joe Diffie uh, that you have to hear. Yes. And so sit back because I got the chills when he was talking, and I'm sure you will, too, with John Barry on the Music Universe podcast. John Barry, welcome to the Music Universe podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing terrific. How about yourself? Oh, we're... We're hanging in there. Uh, you said it's a beautiful day in Nashville. How are you holding up uh, during this safer at home situation? Uh, things are good. I actually am out running an errand today. My son, Kalen, needed to get, he's got a little studio at his house, and uh, he's doing some drum tracks for some folks, and he needed some microphones. So we had to go over to my bus and dig into my trailer and get some gear off the trailer for him. It's nice to see some sunshine. Oh, I, I bet. And uh, I guess you guys are, uh, he's doing some uh, remote recording because that's uh, kind of the thing that people are doing these days. Yeah, he's got a little studio at his house and uh, he's just finishing it up, getting it up and working. And so he's got that. I've got a little studio at my house. Over there. It's not really a studio. I've got a studio set up in my office and um, we do a, uh, every Sunday night at six o'clock, Central Time, we do a little broadcast on Facebook Live and a bunch of, bunch of other platforms as well, but it all goes out at the same time, and it's, it's, uh, it's a character, it's me actually as, as the grandfather that I am, to soon, <laughs> and actually at the end of this month I'll be a grandfather. Oh, congratulations. Oh, congratulations. And my, thank you, and my son and his wife, and they, they call me Papa Bear. <laughs> and they spell it B E. They spell it instead of Barry. They spell, they call it Bear, and it's B E R R. And uh, Papa Bear. And uh, so we, I started the idea of recording, of taping some songs. Of, I'm, I'm sorry, taping some me reading some stories uh, on videotape. And uh, since my granddaughter is going to be living in Texas, and I won't be able to be out there a lot, they'll have some videotapes of me reading storybooks to her. And um, then we decided to put it online. So with that, we've been real the past three Sunday nights at, at 6.30, I guess 6 o'clock Central Time. We've been having uh, Papa Bear story time. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I love that. It's been a lot of fun. We, we had a, a slew of folks on there with us this past week, and it's been a lot of fun getting pictures from little kids. Folks send their pictures of their little ones. Uh, sitting in front of the iPad or their computer or whatever, uh, watching uh, watching Papa Bear sing sing songs and read stories to them. 
Oh yeah, we're gonna have to check I that love out. That. And we'll, we'll post the link. How long do you uh, plan to continue doing that? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna try and do it every Sunday, and give some of these families a a, a, uh, a little something for their young ones to do for a little while on Sunday evenings. Of course, they can uh, they can rewatch them on my YouTube channel, and uh, you know just uh, something some good wholesome stuff for kids to do. And with all, with this, all this quarantine stuff, I'm sure kids will get pretty bored. Oh yeah. <laughs> They, they have to be. Adults are getting bored. <laughs> so you uh, celebrate 41 years as a country performer this year and a songwriter. Uh, it's been 27 years since you signed your first record deal. How much fun are you having when you're actually able to do it, to actually be on the road and be recording and just doing what you love? It's, it's awesome. Um, matter of fact, we were, like I said earlier, I was just up at, at, the, at, our, at our bus getting some uh, microphones off the bus for my son to use at his studio. And I just had to crank the bus up and let it run for a few minutes. I just needed to smell the smell of diesel fuel. <laughs> <laughs> I miss being on the road. Man, well, you know, your kind of music and what I love about what you do crystallized in a YouTube comment. You should go on and, and read. So they say don't read the comments, but this was... I read this today and it got me thinking, your music, it's back when country artists were in love, not lust. I mean, and we've talked about this with some of our other guests, all of a sudden guys are afraid to get emotional anymore in their music. What draws you to the kind of more emotional love songs that you do? Well, I'm just a sap, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just. I, I love emotional music. I love I love music mm-hmm. that's got some fire about it, you know? It's got yeah. something that just tears at your heart, something that just pulls at you. I like that. That's just the kind of music I grew up doing and I grew up listening to. And, uh, you know, especially those Torch songs, man. I love mm-hmm. that kind of music. It's you and only you. If I had any pride left at all. And that's two of my favorites that I've done. Your your love your love amazes me. Does it for me? You know that's just such a classic love song. It's it's uh, really great, and your voice just shines on that. You know. I appreciate that. Yeah, my my friend Chuck Jones wrote that with Amanda Hunt Taylor, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I I wish I had been in on the right end of that song, but man, I tell you what, they sure wrote them a piece of music with that one. I I was just a lucky guy who got to record it. Well, he, like I said, you did a beautiful job, so it's awesome. Thank you. What do you make of, of modern music? Are we losing those those torches, as you say? Are we losing that touch in, in country music and love songs today? Well, it, you know, musical music is cyclical. I mean, it just it, mm-hmm. it has it, it goes through changes and and then it comes back. But because you know, it, it has to stretch out there and see if there's anything else that can be included. And then it kind of comes back. And it stretches anything else that can be included. And then comes back. So, you know, if, if, if it just stretched out there and was all new stuff all the time, then that'd be tough. And it'd be tough to, to hang on to that. Uh, but the fact that it comes back and brings some good new elements to it. 
you know, and mm-hmm. keeps it fresh. Not losing its roots and not losing that thing that makes it special, but just adds little things to it that ain't nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, some, some of the artists from the 80s may have problems with some of the music that came out in the 90s and the 2000s. But what about the music from the 50s? I mean, the music from the country music from the 50s is a world different than the country music from the 80s. From the 80s. Oh yeah, right. And and but they but they brought the, they brought some stuff along and they, and they got some of the good stuff and then they, you know, then you, you listen to classic country stations and they play the best of the times, you know. And and right. you're gonna hear mm-hmm. you're gonna hear some great stuff and 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 all of it just it just has this progression it just grows and and it absorbs the good stuff and sort of sheds the bad. stuff. That's my right. red redneck way of my redneck philosophy of looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Now you you recently released uh, your latest album, Thomas Road. Has the quarantine allowed you to write or work on anything new? Um, I have not written. Uh, I have not really gotten into writing anything this past year. I, you know, this time last year, I was going through cancer treatment, involved throat cancer, mm-hmm. and. Um, so I didn't really write much last year, and I just haven't—I just haven't gotten back in the groove of doing that yet. Um, we've we've got a couple of projects we're working on. Where my wife and I have a a podcast that's going to be coming out very shortly called Family, Faith, and Friends. I'm sorry, Faith, Family, and Friends. I love uh, it. And it's the first the first three episodes are just my wife and I just talking about our lives and how we got into doing music together and and how I got into doing music so many years ago. And, and then uh, I think starting with the fourth episode, we have a guest uh, and, and their spouse with us. And, um, and it, it, we're trying to get uh, guests and their spouses to come and be with us because my wife and I have been working together for years and years and years. And, um, you know, she sings uh, in the band, of course, and, uh, but she also is very involved with uh, the business end of how we do things and she's very creative and uh, matter of fact if you ever you know, see a t-shirt design of ours or you know, or some really cool idea of something we're doing 99 percent chances that something she thought of so oh nice she's pretty she's pretty smart yeah it's great to have a smart woman that can also be your business partner with you you know yeah and she's pretty too oh yeah <laughs> That's important. Um, so I know we were going to uh, touch on the cancer thing. How are you feeling? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I've started putting some weight back on. I went down. I, I, I was originally 206 the day that I was diagnosed mm. with throat cancer. And I was a little he- I was sort of, I was a little above my Elvis weight at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And and then through the cancer treatments, I lost so much weight. I went down to 154. Wow. And no, I'm sorry, 147, 147. Oh wow. And uh, that's the worst thing I've ever been through in my life. Um, I, I hope I I know hope I never have to make the decision to go through that kind of treatment again. That's tough. Right. Toughest thing I've ever done. Well, we're so glad. And you uh, where you were? What's that? I was going to say, we're so glad you beat it. Well, thank you. 
Me too. And, and we, uh, we went out and sang, and we did our Christmas tour this year, and I didn't miss a note. Mm. So everything was good. Um, we'll continue on, and um, I'm starting to eat again. My, my eating's really weird because uh, my food don't taste the same to me anymore, mm. and textures in my mouth feel really weird, and I'm really weird about what I eat. Um, it's kind of crazy, but that's just the way it is. Uh, I, I ate a lot of Caesar salad, and I drank a lot of milkshake. Ain't nothing wrong with uh, milkshakes. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Oh no. 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 Nothing wrong with milkshakes at all. You know, and it's a it's a miracle you got through throat cancer with your voice intact. That is just that is amazing. Did the doctors tell you at any point? Did they tell you at any point that the voice could go? Did they tell you at any point that the voice, that there was a risk to your to your vocals? They were very cautious. They were very car- they were careful about being too optimistic or being too mm-hmm. negative. They were pretty neutral, but they were very cautious. As a matter of fact, I went in for a checkup. It was it was one of my regular routine checkups. You know, uh, as I was getting radiation, it was near the end of the radiation. Actually, I had mm-hmm. uh, I had. Seven chemotherapy treatments, which I don't care. Chemotherapy is the worst thing on the planet. There's nothing worse yeah. than going through chemotherapy. The radiation was bad. I had chemo, seven chemotherapy treatments, and I had 35 radiation treatments. Wow. Now, the, the skin around my neck, because they radiated my throat, you know, and uh, to mm-hmm. kill off any cancer cells. And, and it made the skin like leather, like an old football. And but there was this white stripe across the center of my throat, and my doc, my my wife was so concerned that it was an infection or something. So she asked the radiologist. She said, "What's the white stripe across John's throat?" And he said, "Well, we knew that John was a singer, so we programmed the radiation waves to go around his vocal cords." Oh my goodness! Wow, that's amazing. So it left a little white spot on my neck. Yeah, I'm telling you. It's, it, it, people say there's no miracles anymore. That's a miracle, man. It's a miracle that God gave people the talent to be able to think of that. Much mm-hmm. to be able to think of to program radiation waves to to think of radiation waves. Period to cure cancer. I mean, that's yeah. pretty. That's pretty doggone miracle. But then to be able to program the waves to go around the vocal cords, not as to not damage them. How cool is that? Oh, that's giving me chills. That's yeah. I I live with some docs, and I had no clue people in science and stuff, and I had no clue that was even possible. That's I thought you know something like that just goes where it goes. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It used to be when they radiate you, they just radiated everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let, you know. Hopefully, you stay healthy and continue to you know be able to use that voice because i know you just lent your voice to joe and martina's new single called give me back the 90s i've heard that song it's really catchy i really like it how did you uh get involved with that well they've been playing around here in nashville the past couple of years and my son kalen has played some dates with him he's our drummer you know and um uh, they, they've gotten to be good friends and ends up, you know, Martin and Joe are, are, are fans of my music and 
Martina, her favorite song is Standing on the Edge Goodbye. And, and um, you know, I, I got to meet them and they're just lovely, lovely people. And um, I went into uh, a, a place here in Nashville that they were playing one night, the scoreboard out by Opryland. And they got to hear them play and they asked if I'd sing a song with them and I did. And, and uh, uh, we did Stand on the Edge Goodbye together. It was a lot of fun. And uh, next thing I know, they, they called and asked if I'd be a part of this uh, this song that Joe had written with some friends. And and um, so they sent it to me, and I listened to it, and I was like, well, heck yeah, man, I'm in. <laughs> so I thought it was a great song, and I thought they did a great job producing the record, and I was thrilled mm-hmm. to be a part of it. It was a lot of fun. You know, the younger respects the traditions and people that came before and asks them to be included. And what I love about you, Nate, I'm, I don't mean to, I mean this very respectfully because I love that, uh, as we mentioned, it's been about two and a half, it's been almost three decades since your record deal. I think you were in your early, mid 30s when that first deal came along. Correct me if I'm wrong. Nowadays, you're seeing artists getting signed at 24, 25. Luke Combs hits at 27. And and for a lot of people, that can be a little too early. And I'm just wondering if you ever gave thought to, like, you hit at the right time. You may have been in your 30s, but it was the right time. Have you ever thought about that, about the age it kind of hit for you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, I had done six albums before I ever got a record deal. Mm-hmm. I, I had... Uh, Made, done just done them on my own and, and i have never 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 really thought much about going to nashville and getting a record deal i i was i was living my own dream you know mm-hmm. so i was actually driving home from I, I was playing clubs in athens georgia and the surrounding area on a pretty regular basis and um um i was driving home from a gig we, we lived about 18 miles out of town out in the country. And um, as I was driving home, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And the song came on the radio. The, the DJ goes, hey, we got a brand new song from Joe Diffie. And this was in February, I think, of 92. And I love Joe Diffie. I turned the volume up and on comes this beautiful song called Ships That Don't Come In. And... Um, Joe got to the chorus and he sang that beautiful chorus. Here's to all the soldiers who've ever died in vain. The insane locked up in themselves and the homeless down in Maine. The, those who stand on empty shores and spit against the wind. And those that wait forever for ships that don't come in. And man, I was a puddle. Yeah. It hit me like a freight train. For the first time, in my life, I, it occurred to me that, well, maybe all you'll ever do is be this guy playing clubs in this college town. That's as big as you'll ever make. It. You know, sure, you got a nice little piece of land out here in the country and a little farmhouse and got you an RV riding around singing for folks. And, but that's, just, that's all it's going to be. And that just wasn't going to cut it, man. I was in tears. I, it just broke my heart. I got home and I woke my wife up and I, through tears, I told her about Joe's song and what I was thinking. And we stayed up all night for hours 
and we came up with a plan to go to Nashville every thir- every three weeks, do an industry showcase for a year. And if we didn't garner any attention, we'd punt. We'd come up with something else to do. But we were going to give it a solid year every three weeks, go to Nashville, do a showcase. We did our first industry showcase, and we sent out 250 invitations to industry professionals. And one guy on that list showed up. And I got a record deal with Capitol Records because of Herky Williams. Wow. And wow. And that song, that song literally, that song literally changed my life. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah and we That's unfortunately beautiful. just lost Joe last week. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I. Uh, that was that was a very sad phone call I got. From from a friend to let me know that Joe had passed away. And a uh, matter of fact, we were talking about Joe, uh, the same friend. He and I were talking about Joe the other day because last time I saw Joe at the Opry uh, several months ago, I was like, Joe, are you okay? Because he he just looked like he was he was red in the face and looked like he was just not in good shape. And he, he said, oh, I'm fine. And he, and I, he he said, I kind of get this way whenever. Whenever I sing, it just you know, like blood pressure goes up or whatever. I don't know. And but our, my friend and I were talking about Joe, and I was just concerned that maybe I was hoping that this coronavirus would stay clear of him because I knew it, he was having some uh, breathing problems and respiratory problems. It seemed to be a little bit, and um, so I just really, when I heard that, and I was just like, "Good grief! I can't believe." And uh, I do understand that it had nothing to do with the coronavirus, but it was just other issues that he had. So. Wow. That's just – had you become – because I know the greatest joy for me in doing this, in doing this whole music journalism thing, is getting to meet heroes and getting to know them and and have a relationship that I never could have predicted with some people. I know Buddy feels the same way. And what was your relationship like with Joe? Did you become friends did you did you just know each other through social circles? I mean, how did that? Did you guys stay in touch at all? Uh, just really, um, we just knew each other to speak to. And mm-hmm. I, I at the opera, uh, a, a, you know, last year when I saw him at the opera, I did have an opportunity to tell him how much that song had changed my life. And um, matter of fact, that that was the last time I saw there. But in one of the trade papers, I saw that picture of me and Joe standing there with me talking to him about that song. Oh, wow. That was pretty cool. Yeah. That's so cool. And um, now you're <clears throat> featured uh, singing in a, a song called Beautifully Broken in a film. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? That was really, really cool. Um, my old producer, Chuck Howard, he produced all the records that, you heard me play on the radio. She's taking a shine. You and only you. Your love amazes me. Kiss me in the car. All those records. Chuck produced those. Well, in recent years, Chuck has been making, uh, he's been producing uh, faith-based independent films and uh, doing really well, doing good movies with good messages and uh, um, biblical truth. And he called me up. He said, he said, John, I'm out of town, but I just, emailed you a rough cut of this movie called beautifully broken when i get home tomorrow i'm going to send you the song but look at the movie and see if you'd like to be a part of the film he said it's a little different but 
Um, but I'll send you the song tomorrow. Well, I watched the movie, and man, it was really powerful. And it's a true story. It takes place in the mid-'90s. Uh, it's a genocide that took place in Rwanda. Uh, I was busy with number one records, and I had brain surgery and all kinds of stuff in 94. And I didn't even know there was a genocide taking place in Rwanda. I just didn't know. And that's sad. But um, uh, basically, one group of people hated another group of people, and they tried to wipe them out. But in the midst of it all, this is a story about two, about three families, two from Rwanda and one from Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, and the, the tapestry that could have only be woven by God, where these three families literally save each other's lives in different ways. And it's, it's crazy, crazy film. And some of it's hard to watch because it's really very historically accurate. And it's kind of crazy that the, I sent the rough cut of the film to my son's father-in-law in Texas, not to overcomplicate this story, but, uh, but Tim, my son's father-in-law, Tim Barnett, has become a dear friend, one of my best friends. And I wanted him to look at it just to get a sense, faith-wise, was it a good storyline? Because I'm, I'm a Christian, and I want to be sure things I do are in line with my faith strongly. Sure. And uh, he called me back, and he said, man, I love the film. He said, it's great. You should do it. He said, by the way. He said, there's a scene in that movie where they land at the airport in um, Kigali, Rwanda, Africa. And I said, yeah, I remember that scene. He said, that's the airport that we are flying into in July on a mission trip with our church. Do you want to go? So two years ago, or this coming July, it'll be two years ago, we went to Rwanda, Africa for 10 days. And uh, got to go and be where all this had happened, where this had taken place. Matter of fact, we got to go to the the Genocide Memorial Museum, and it was quite heartbreaking uh, to go and and just the realization of how that's just part of their culture there, and and um, that they have to that's part of their past that they have to deal with, and it's tough. But it was quite a it was quite a quite a journey and. It just helped make that film come to life for me. And if, if uh, I'm sure the film is still available out there, maybe Amazon Prime or something like that, if you're, any of your listeners would like to see it. It's, it's a wonderful film. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out now. Um, now, you, you, I love your stories. It, are, are these some of the – is this kind of a snippet of what people can experience on your TV show Songs and Stories with John Barry uh, on Ride TV? Yeah, the, um, the the episode season season one. I guess it's still out there. I I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, we had it. It was on several networks. Uh, uh, but yeah, songs and stories with John Barry and and I'd have songwriters and we would. I know there's been several shows where they have songwriters that sit and tell the stories behind their songs and stuff. But ours was with a live audience and with a live band, so it had a bigger had a bigger energy about it, you know. Yeah, nice. And um, it was a lot of fun, and we'd love to do it again. And um, if I could get if I could get the publishers to work with me on the royalty rates, but I I couldn't do it anymore because it cost me too much in royalties to pay. Because we we had 
we had um, one, two, three, three or four songs per episode. And so over the season of 13 episodes, you know, uh, the royalty rate, it made it so expensive, we couldn't afford to do the show again. So you were producing this yourself? Yes. Ah. Yeah, I was I was the producer and the janitor. Wow. And everything in between. So. <laughs> wow. Well, congratulations on that. You know, I, I know you've had, uh, obviously, some tour dates uh, probably impacted by this. Um, you've got the Christmas, uh, your annual Christmas um, uh, shows, it looks like. Um, are you still planning uh, for the, like, af- let's say July 1st is what I've heard. A lot of the industry is going to start back up. Are, do, you, do you have plans for the summer and beyond at this point? Um, we've, uh, we've gotten all of our spring dates and early summer dates. We're all rescheduled for later in the summer into the fall. And um, and then our Christmas tour typically starts the weekend before Thanksgiving every year. And um, we do a lot of the same cities, but we always we have some cities we do every other year, some cities we do every year, and then we try to add new cities every year as well. Right on. Well, if you ever come up to uh, Bakersfield again, well, I'll have to come out and see you. Oh yeah, we have, I, I I look forward to coming back to Bucks again. Playing out there. Matter of fact, I've got Buck's guitar right here in my room with me. He gave oh, me one of his guitars. Oh, wow. And I got him oh, to autograph it before me. He was a very good. kind man to me. That's what I've heard. Yes. Yes, he was. Well, since we started talking about Bakersfield, I think Buck is a good place to end this. We're at our time. John Barry, this was a treat. You need to write a book. I'm telling you, your stories and the way you tell them are fabulous. So thank you very much. I really, we really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you guys. And uh, y'all stay safe. And uh, hopefully this will blow over soon and we can all get back to life. But let's not go back to life to the way it was. Let's make it better, okay? Absolutely. And you stay, exactly. you stay safe, best of health, and look forward to seeing you soon. All right, buddy. The stories had me enthralled. I mean, I love when our guests do our job for us and we can just sit back and just let them talk. Oh, yeah. I mean, I even got teary-eyed at a few of those. I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if anyone could tell, but, like, I, I was getting teary-eyed at just the emotion behind what he was saying. I mean, you hear us quiet through much of that, and that's just because I was overwhelmed with the emotion about how he, you know, p- proceeded to live after, you know, his, his cancer and what he had to go through and then how he actually turned into um a career you know because joe diffie uh released a song and he just Mm -hmm. made it his life's mission to let's go chase that dream as i think everybody should so uh, super super nice guy so glad he joined us i'm thrilled too you know and i'm hearing more and more and more as we do these and just in the news in general about joe diffie and what an impact he had on country music and the world in general, because to be honest, and I hate when it's like this, but until he passed, I had no clue how important he was. I just thought he was, a, uh, frankly, no disrespect to the dead. I thought he was a D-list player in 90s country because his name didn't even come up as often as Travis Tritt in our conversations or anything like that. But to hear how important he truly was and what he accomplished and what he meant to so many has really opened my perspective, broadened my perspective on how important he was. 
I, I knew he was a great singer and I loved his music. Um, I know I previously said I wasn't like a huge fan, but as I got older and more into nineties country, I, I really appreciated mm-hmm. him more and I've got most of his albums. Um, I didn't realize how inspiring he was to people because like you said, his name wasn't mentioned as often as many other nineties, um, country artist so super uh super glad that you know he's getting that respect it's unfortunate it took this it seems i mean i guess it didn't take his his passing for that to happen but that's just kind of where it's becoming more of uh in, in the know absolutely well that does it for this edition of the music universe podcast i'm matt bailey and i'm buddy Jan. thanks for listening and keep checking out the music universe.com <laughs>